0: Acts chapter four. Uh, I don't have. It's a bigger section, so I don't have slides for all of the references today. Just for some of them. And so, if you want to follow along in your Bibles and uh, as I read through Acts, that'd be great. Um, do you remember where we've been? Let's think about this. So we've got we've got Peter and John. They headed off to pray. Correct. And as their way, on their way to pray, they see this man. Now, they've probably passed by this guy several times. And this time they pass by him, but they stop. Their attention is drawn to him. This man who's been uh, paralyzed since birth, and he's there receiving alms. His friends have brought him here daily. We're going to find out he's about 40 years old. So I'm guessing for about 40 years, right, probably as soon as he was big enough to be there by himself, uh, he was brought to the temple gate. And so Peter and John have probably passed by this guy plenty of times and maybe even have given him him alms. But this time was different. This time, they look at him intently, it says. They make eye contact and Peter says, tells the guy, he says, look at me right right now. And he says, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I do have, I'm going to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And this guy reaches down his hand to him. Just imagine standing up I imagine him popping up, right? Because it says next that he goes through the temple, leaping and praising God. As you probably would if you'd never walked your whole life and suddenly you could. And so he does this exact thing. And so this is where we've been after this happens because there were crowds there. This obviously is going to draw some attention from the crowd. And Peter uh, begins to preach, uses this opportunity. Now, before I dig into this story, I want to ask you a question and uh, see what you think here. Now, after a story like this, you may feel one way, but I want you to think about this. Do you, do you find Christianity appealing or offensive? Appealing. Now, hopefully, I'm guessing you all find it appealing because you're here, right? Hopefully, you're all like, no, I love it. That's why I'm here. Okay, so that's, that's good. Does everybody find it appealing? Now, see, that wasn't the answer I was expecting. Does it, everybody in this room, but does everybody that you know find Christianity appealing? No. No. I think that many, when they get to the real deal of Christianity, it's not so appealing. Now, I want to come back to this thought at the end, but as we go through the story, so I'm going to start in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to read through here. I don't have control if you want to. There we go. Acts chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 22 starts off. It says, and as they were speaking to the people, this is Peter and John, the priest and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. By the way, Luke likes to do this. As we go through Acts, you're going to see a lot of times when there's a speech being given, it gets interrupted. Okay, so just, just think this through. So this is what's happening, right? So as they're speaking, they get interrupted by the, the, the captain of the temple and the Sadducees. They come upon them. Greatly annoyed, it says, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So, the, the, these leaders, the authorities, are they're, they're, they're annoyed, it says, and the reason why they're annoyed is because of what they're preaching. Now, the Sadducees were the sect that did not believe in the resurrection. Okay, so you've heard of the Pharisees before? Okay, there's Pharisees and there were Sadducees. Sadducees were, were sad, you see. Okay, that's. <laughs> um, but they didn't believe in miracles. The resurrection so no surprise they're annoyed because what are they what does it say they're preaching proclaiming in jesus the resurrection from the dead now it's interesting the wording that's used here uh when it says they were preaching the resurrection from the dead they're not just saying that jesus was resurrected but they're saying in essence that jesus is the resurrection from the dead okay so this future resurrection that's going to happen it started in jesus that's what they're preaching and so this is why the sadducees are annoyed they're claiming right that this happened in jesus they're claiming that they have concrete evidence they're claiming to be witnesses to a resurrection says and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening but many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about five thousand well we knew it was evening right because they went at 3 p.m the healing has happened they've had some discussion now it's evening and so they arrest them, put them in custody. But in the process, there are about 5,000 men, it says, that have believed. No wonder the temple authorities are responding to this. Right? I mean, can you imagine the hubbub? First, you got the guy leaping around through the temple, healed. All this attention is drawn. And now you got 5,000 men, at least, that have now converted to this way. They've heard it and they believed. The Sadducees are annoyed. The Sadducees are frustrated. On the next day, the rulers and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, verse 5, uh, with Annas the high priest. Now listen to, listen to some of these words. With Annas the high priest and, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander. We don't know who John and Alexander are. But Luke is using specific names here. And it says, and all, were who, all who were of the high priestly family. I think we're getting set up for a bit of a power struggle here. Did you hear that? And all that were in this family, Annas and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, these are the guys in charge. These are the big names, the big wigs. I think there's going to be a question of authority, a question of power. These are the guys in charge. These are the guys in power. And notice that they're all of the same family. That was kind of important. Many of the same family. And when they had set them in the midst, verse 7, when they had set them in the midst, and, and probably a semicircle, so imagine all the big wigs right, in the semicircle around, and right in the center, Peter and John, and I believe the man that was healed, as we're going to see in just a minute. So try to picture that in your head, right, the big wigs. I wonder if they were up on a pedestal a little bit higher than them. Do you see them sitting there? Right? All around? Mm-hmm. Peter and John, they're just fishermen, right? And then this beggar, I'm sure that, so they're, they're, they're sitting there right in the middle. And they inquired. You hear the power struggle here. Listen to it. By what power or by what name did you do this? Hmm. I think that this most likely refers to the healing, but I think it's also referring to the preaching because that's what brought their attention. The people were, were gathered in because of the healing, but what, 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 what caused the, the, the Sadducees to come up? 5,000 guys said, hey, this is the truth. I'm in it. Sadducees, I think, feel their, their, their authority slip maybe a little bit. The Pharisees, the scribes, are going to see the elders here, their authority may have slipped a little bit. They're like, hey, who's, who's in charge here, us or you? Now, before we move further, I think it's important to remember they're asking Peter. Peter it, tends to be the spokesperson in this situation. John is there, the, 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 the man who was lame from birth is there. This is Peter. This is the same Peter that quaked with fear at the questioning of a little girl before Jesus was crucified. Do you remember that? Jesus is about ready to be crucified and there's, there's people asking questions. One of them it says specifically, this little girl says, you're one of his disciples too, aren't you? And he's like, no, I'm not. I tell you. How's he going to respond now? I mean, that was just with some little girl off to the side. Now he's in front of Annas and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, right? The leaders of the temple. How's it going to act? Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Is it going to be another denial? Filled with the Holy Spirit? I don't think so. This calls back to a promise that Jesus made. Jesus made a promise to his disciples uh, this particular uh, one comes in Luke chapter 12 where it says and when they bring you Jesus is talking here to his disciples he says when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say do you think that Peter has these words ringing in his ears I mean he may have never thought this was going to happen but here he is brought before the rulers in a synagogue I mean here he is In verse 8, that's what it says. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not by himself this time. Like when he was talking to that little girl, not on his own. This time he's filled with the Spirit of God. And he responds, and this is what he says. Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel I'm thinking that probably behind John and Peter, this is a, a connection that maybe there's some people off watching this from a distance. There's a kind of a crowd like a courtroom. You got the people back in the back. Peter says, Let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel, but that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. And he's right there. So I, I, you think he... Pointed to him, and by him, him, this man is standing before you well. I would have said emphasis on the standing. No denial this time. In fact, I think it's just the opposite, very clear. This Jesus, in case you didn't know, right before they said, You know Jesus, don't you know? I don't know Jesus. What does he say this time? Jesus of Nazareth, in case you didn't know. Oh, and by the way, which Jesus of Nazareth? The Jesus that you crucified. The Jesus that God then turned around and raised from the dead. That same Jesus. The religious establishment, I think the ones in power, they're in trouble. This was not accomplished by their power. They didn't say, on your authority we healed this man. They didn't say that. In fact, not only was it not on your authority, temple leaders, it was on the authority of Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who by the way, you killed. But God, Did something different. He raised him from the dead. The religious authorities are finding themselves on the wrong side of power, and when people who are losing power come into the presence of real power, I think they all do the same dumb thing. They attempt to exert their own feeble power over it. Let's listen to the rest of Peter's response. Verse 11, it says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, he clarifies, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Cornerstone. Uh, Now, some people think that it was referring to a capstone, and maybe some of your versions say capstone. A capstone would be the stone right up here. And it's interesting, it could mean that. Peter could be referring to this, and that, that Old Testament passage could be referring to a capstone. The capstone is kind of like where they're getting all... You can just imagine, if you took that capstone out, what's going to happen to that whole arch? It's going to crumble, isn't it? So it could mean that. It's possible. Most people, though, do think that it's referring to an actual cornerstone, right? And uh, if you're familiar at all, you see... A lot of times you'll see a big building. You'll have that big cornerstone set there, kind of setting... Uh, this is where the building is going to be. I know ancient builders would use those cornerstones as almost a guide. Everything is going down this way, and every, this side going down this way. And that cornerstone was so essential to get the whole building set up straight. I think it was probably a cornerstone. Could have been a capstone. The, the stone image, though, this whole image comes from Psalm 118. And I'm going to put it up here for you. Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. Um, this is what Peter is quoting. It says, the stone that the builders rejected, notice that when he quoted it, he said, the stone that the builders, you guys, did you hear him say that? You, the builders. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. So he's quoting this. He wasn't the first one to quote this. Peter actually heard Jesus quote this as well. If you go to Luke chapter 20, also you can find it in Mark chapter 12. In both passages, Jesus tells this parable. So let me just give you the brief outline of this parable. This tells a parable where he says, okay, there's this king. He has a vineyard. He's off in a far country, and he sends, right, he's got some people looking over the vineyard, and he sends some servants back to check on it. So he sends servant number one back. Servant number one shows up and says, on behalf of the king, I'm here to see what you're doing with the vineyard, and the people of the vineyard kill that first servant. The king then says, well, let's send another servant. Sent another servant. The servant makes it to the vineyard. What's the king do? Or what do what the people of the vineyard do? They they kill him too. And the king then, and this is the story that Jesus is telling, the king then sends his son, saying, surely, if I send my son, they won't kill him. He sends his son. The son shows up to the vineyard. The people of the vineyard say, ah, it's the son. If we kill him, we get to keep the vineyard. I always thought that was... Hello? Is that better? If I kill, if if we kill him, we get to keep the vineyard. He's the heir. And so you know what the people of the vineyard do? They kill him. Jesus tells that story, and then he quotes this psalm. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And here's what this means. In fact, by Jesus' time, they understood that this was a a psalm about the Messiah. See, the children of Israel, many times, when prophets would come to Israel, they didn't accept the prophet, they rejected the prophet, and would kill the prophets. And this psalm is saying that just the same way that Israel, you rejected the prophets, you're going to also reject the Messiah. It was a clue. It was a hint of what was about to come. Jesus told that parable to to try to open their eyes to say, hey guys, listen. Listen. This is happening now. The stone that the builders, and this is what Peter does as well. He says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The very cornerstone of all that God is doing, all of God's salvation, is Jesus Christ himself. And you, religious authorities, right, the rulers of the temple, just like your ancestors who rejected the prophets, you're missing it again. Does that make sense? So this is, they understood that that's what that parable was about. I think that this idea, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. I think that's just a really common truth anyway. I mean, how often have you seen the establishment miss the most important thing? Have you ever seen that happen? The people in charge, it seems like somehow they miss the most important thing. I think very much that's exactly, I mean, this, this, this psalm speaks to that reality, but the reality is so much more so with the things of God. We uh, mentioned earlier, it's actually been mentioned twice today, I didn't know it was going to be mentioned twice before we got to it, but Matthew chapter 7 talks about this. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. That This is all tying these ideas together. That the reality is that the truth is missed by most and found by few. Peter heard this referenced, this Psalm 118. He actually quotes it again. If you look at 1 Peter, when we did our study on 1 Peter, we saw this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter references this again. So we, it's interesting because we get to see one of the first times Peter references it in, in, a, in a speech or a sermon, so to speak. But he actually references it in a letter that he writes. He, he writes this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8 is what I'm going to read. Peter writes, he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, right, talking about Jesus, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You just think about that cornerstone. Did you see it surrounded by all the other stones? Okay, um, to be a holy priesthood, to to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. Behold, now this is a quote from Isaiah. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone, here it is, that's Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then he quotes another uh, passage from Isaiah, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. I like that he adds this little tidbit from Isaiah onto that. Here's a stone. That was rejected has become the cornerstone. He throws this in here from Isaiah. He says, the stone is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. I'm telling you right now, that is so much of what, that's precisely what Jesus is. As the cornerstone, precious to us, for many, Jesus, he's a stone of stumbling. He's a rock that offends Now, I want to come back to this in just a minute, but I need to finish the story. I can't not finish the story. So back to uh, Acts chapter uh, four, verse 13. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, I'm so happy for Peter. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. Can you just imagine these guys sitting up there thinking that to themselves? These are uneducated common men. They were astonished though. They, they recognized, because of their boldness, it says, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. I mean, what are they going to say? I mean, everybody knew this guy. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? So you imagine them sending Peter and John out. Guys, get out of here for a minute you two heal go away they send them out and can you see them conferring amongst themselves that's what that's exactly what happened here send them out they commanded them to leave the council they conferred with one another saying what shall we do with these men I, don't you just want to smack them they are I mean it's you're like you're missing the point guys I mean, standing in front of them moments ago was a man who had been lame from birth who's now walking around and they had seen him leaping and praising God. These guys who are uneducated were obviously filled with boldness to speak the truth and just laid it out here. And, and the thing that Peter said was, hey, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. I mean, it's aimed right at them. The stone the builders, you guys, rejected has become the cornerstone. It's Jesus, you crucified him. He's the, the key, the cornerstone of all that God is gonna do. And instead of them going, wait a minute, I don't want to be one of those people that misses it. I hate that. Do you guys hate that? I hate it when I'm at school and a kid starts laughing and I don't know why. I'm like, what is he laughing about? I, don't, I hate being out, you know, not knowing what's going on in the situation. I mean, I, that's one of my, I mean, I, in fact, in a bigger sense, I don't want to go through life and having missed the key most important things of life. And this is what Peter's telling them. He goes, guys, you're missing the big key, most important thing. It's Jesus. He's the Messiah. Just like your ancestors rejected the prophets, you're, you're doing the same thing. Don't do it. And they send him out and they go, instead of going, are we missing something here? I mean, the guy is healed. They don't do that. What do they say? What are we going to do with these guys? <laughs> what are we going to do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We can't deny it. Were you considering denying it? But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. That power struggle, I think, is what's at play. They spoke in the name of Jesus by the power of Jesus. It wasn't their power. They weren't on the end Instead of saying, I want to be on the end, what do they say? We got we to gotta squelch this, quench it, stop it. So what do they do? They call them in and charge them. Can you imagine them telling them this? And charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. I wonder if they use their fingers. I'm telling you right now, guys, do not, you're just uneducated common men. You, you don't know anything. So don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. You understand? But Peter and John answered them. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We can't but speak of truth, what we've seen, what we've heard. Would it be right for us to obey you and disobey God? No. When they had further threatened them, they let them go finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. There's that age, we finally get to it. Last week, we talked about ignorance. Remember Peter telling the crowd, you were ignorant of what you were doing. Now you ought to repent, because now you know. Some will, many won't. Jesus is a still a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense for the early church. I think it was very much this way. I don't think it's that different for us today. Jesus is our cornerstone. This is true, isn't it? I mean, when I asked you earlier, I said, "Does Christianity appeal to you, or or you find it offensive?" You're like, "It appeals to us." What are you talking about, man? I- I mean, for many of you, Jesus truly is your cornerstone. I mean, he's the the corner. You, you, You line everything up with all that he is and all that he's done, and you're putting all of your hopes right on Jesus. For many of you, that's exactly the case. He's appealing to you. For many, that's not the case. They reject this cornerstone, and what Jesus becomes for many is a rock of offense and a stone of stumbling. You see... At some point, when you're telling people about Jesus, at some point, you have to use the same words that Peter did and say something like this. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. At some point, when you start talking about Jesus... He might come off appealing to many at first, but at some point, when you get right down to it, you got to say stuff like this. That is offensive to the modern American mind. Who are you to say? Are you saying what are they? Are you saying your way's right and everybody else is wrong? Are you saying that you, Jesus is the only way that people can get saved? What about this religion? What about this? Aren't they really all diff, different? I'm telling you right now, the Bible does not teach, the, and Peter has no problem at some point eventually getting to the point where he's gonna say the cornerstone is the only one and there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. Hmm. For many, that's, I, I found in, in, in my life, a lot of people are kind of okay with me being a pastor, being a Christian, you know, people that know I'm a pastor, know I'm a Christian, they're kind of okay with it until they get right down to it and I start saying stuff like this. Well, I don't do that. And then suddenly I, I become, to them, very close-minded individual. But here's the truth. Sometimes you have to say things. Maybe it's not this side of it. Maybe it's the other side. If I go back to Acts chapter three, what did Peter say? He said, "Maybe you guys were ignorant, but repent." When you're when you're a Christian and you're sharing the good news of the gospel, um, a lot of people love it. They love it. They love it. Oh, it's so good. It's so wonderful. And you're sharing it with them and you're telling them the good news. And and at some point, you start sounding like this. And their eyebrows. One of their eyebrows usually goes up at this point. Who are you to judge? who are you to judge me? Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted. My sins may be blotted out. At some point as a Christian, it gets to this place. I'd like to close with a quote from a a guy named Timothy Keller, uh, one one of my favorite pastors. He's a pastor in New York City. In his book, Evangelism, He says this about the early church, and I think it captures exactly what we're finding here when we think about the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense. He says this. They were both attractive and growing, yet hated and attacked. He's talking about the early church. The early church was both, on one hand it was uh, attractive and growing. Didn't we see that in this passage? 5,000 people. What was it, just uh, not that long earlier, just a few days earlier than this? 3,000 people. And yet hated and attacked. This description of the early church cuts us two ways. If on the one hand, we experience no attacks or persecution for, for our faith, it means we are simply being cowards. Ouch. I think that's why I said it cuts us two ways. There's one. We are not taking risks in our witness. We are not being bold like Peter was bold in his witness. On the other hand, if we experience attacks without a fruitfulness and attractiveness, in other words, if we get lots of persecution and and, and not affirmation, it may mean that we are being persecuted for being harsh or insensitive or strident. Jesus said we would only be blessed if we were persecuted for righteousness' sake. It is quite possible, indeed, it is very normal for Christians to be persecuted, not for their faith, but for their discourtesy, insensitivity, and lack of warmth and respect for their dealings with others. He closes with this thought. He says, insensitive, harsh Christians. So here we have on the two hands, right? Insensitive, harsh Christians will have persecution, but not praise. Cowardly Christians will have praise, but not persecution. Most Christians whose walk with God is weak actually get neither. The Christians who are closest to Jesus will get both, as he did. I I don't know about you. I read that, and I I recognize the strong connection with, he's right. He's absolutely right. When I read this, and I recognize a strong connection with what we're reading about in Acts, and you see that with with Peter John, you see that with the early churches this praise on one hand he's the cornerstone for many, but for many he's that stone of something he's offensive i was I was cut by this quote I'll have to say if there's anything I, I fall in the category of the this is horrible for a pastor to have to admit in front of his people. I fall in the category of cowardly Christian quite often. They love it that I'm a Christian, but I, I, I hesitate sometimes going that one last step because you know it's coming, don't you? You're talking to somebody, you're talking about God, they're talking about God, you're talking about God, they're talking, oh, this is a great conversation about God. And then at some point, you, you can start to sense it coming because they start to say some little things, and like, wait a minute, that's not, well, I don't think we're talking about the same God or something, something's off here. And then finally, you get to it and you, you have to say it and you go, well, you know, there is no other way in our heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The disposition changes. And I'll tell you, when I, when I get right up to that point, I, I usually try to soften that instead of just saying, boom. Because I don't like to be perceived as somebody who's small-minded. I think I'm pretty big-minded. I think I'm pretty open-minded. I want to know the truth. But here's the truth. No other name given among men by which we must be saved. And if somebody in this world believes that they're saved through some other religion according to the scriptures, let's use the words of Jesus. Those who reject the cornerstone will be cast into outer darkness to suffer eternally. That's Jesus who said things like that. That's offensive to many. I feel my offensiveness coming out, no matter how much I try to say that lovingly. And that's how we ought to try to say it. Where do you fall? Insensitive, harsh Christians will have persecution, but not praise. Maybe you fall on that side. The reality is people get frustrated with you, not because you're a Christian, that's what you say, it's persecute me because of my faith. The reality is you're a big, fat jerk. You're not loving at all. Cowardly Christians will have praise but not persecution. Maybe you fall on that side. You like to be liked. I get it. Most Christians, and I think this is the reality with most of us, and I'm putting myself in this lot with all the rest of us, most Christians whose walk with God is weak actually get neither. Maybe you're sitting here going, I don't even know if anybody at work knows I'm a Christian. I think a couple of them do. Or maybe you're saying, "I've never actually gotten to the place where I've offended anybody with my faith." And so when you hear a talk of persecution versus praise, you're going, "I don't really know what that's even about. I haven't experienced that at all. Christians who are closest with Jesus will get both as He did. Jesus is our cornerstone. For you, for me, it's glorious in our eyes, isn't it? He's glorious. He's precious. Valuable. We look at what all that God has done in him, we say just like that psalm, it is glorious, it is marvelous in our eyes. But maybe if you're like me and you've come up short of saying some of those hard things like Peter did, you're full of love, you're full of grace, and you, you want to make sure that comes through. I understand that. But at some point when you proclaim true Christianity, you have to say, There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. That's what Scripture teaches. And your response ought to be repent that your sins may be blotted out. Man, I encourage you to, to pepper that through with your own humility by saying, Just like me, I had to turn to Christ but you still have to get to some point where whether you are a offensive rock or a stone of stumbling as you present Jesus, many are offended by it, many just stumble over that repentance idea. But wherever you're at, I want to encourage you as you go out this week and you're professing Christ to ask God to take you and help you to be as bold as fisherman Peter. To be filled with the Spirit and say, say, Lord, I want to be ready at any time, even, even if there's a cost. Was there a cost for Peter? It wasn't too hard this time. He just got threatened. Does it stay that way? No. There may be a cost. Are you willing to go that far to present the truth in love, but still truth? I want to pray, and I just want to encourage you if you're sitting here today and you go, I need to, I need to work through some of this. I want you to know that I'm always, I'm always available. Okay. After the service, I'm going to pray, and you'll be dismissed. But if you want to come up and say, "Man, I need to know more about this. I need to talk about this," please feel free to come up here. I always try to hang out here for a little bit, and I want to be able to pray for you if you need it, counsel with you if you need it. But my hope is that us as a church, we will gather in on peter's boldness full of grace but still bold and go out into our communities speaking truth for some we meet they'll love it it'll become their cornerstone for others you meet if you're ready you're willing you may find that others that you share this with they will not no matter how much you try to convey its great worth they will be offended, and they will stumble over the words that you're saying. Don't be disheartened by that. It happened to Peter. It happened to Jesus. It can happen to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day, Lord, and I thank you, Lord, for the story of Peter. Peter, who was so weak initially and and, and, and scared to even testify about Jesus to a little girl who's questioning him. But Lord, now we see him filled with your spirit, able to be bold in front of all these authorities. Lord, we pray for that same boldness. Lord, we pray for that same uh, filling up of your spirit to speak the truth. Lord, we don't want to go all the way over in the, the, the area of just being harsh and rude and mean. Lord, we never want that. Lord, we, don't, we also don't want to just become cowardly Christians that are unwilling to get to that hard truth. Lord, I pray that you would guide us, direct us, give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.